podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Here, we love talking about everything Batman. The BatmanUniverse.net has news, original content, and reviews about Batman comics, movies, TV shows, video games, and more. Check out the BatmanUniverse.net and join our Discord server to start chatting with fellow fans. We can't wait to talk to you guys. Also, visit our Patreon page and join our other awesome supporters. But enough of this nonsense. On with the show. Hey, Bat fans. Welcome to the Batman Universe podcast. I'm your host, Scott, and joining me is host Otto. And today we'll be taking a look back at a movie that celebrated its 30th anniversary last month. We had a little, we had a couple interviews and some other topics, so we didn't get to it in December proper, but we're circling back now. When it originally debuted, however, this film that's celebrating this big anniversary debuted to little fanfare, you know, but as the years went on, it earned the status to many Bat fans as one of the greatest cinematic Batman adaptations, if not the greatest adaptation. So it depends on where you fall on that one. We'll get to that in a minute and, you know, discuss, I haven't even mentioned the title of it, but we'll get to it, you know, after a couple notes of housekeeping first. First, we have our icebreaker, and then we're going to do a little post-holiday checkup. So our icebreaker for this week is, Otto, what's one or two Bat comics you would introduce to children who are curious about Batman, but maybe haven't read him yet? So if we're talking children, we're talking, I would say, 10 and below. I'm going to go with that. I would say the Wayne Family Adventures. That's a, that's a very new thing, but I think it's perfect to introduce kids of that age to the character. Also, I think the there's the Little Gotham series and Gotham Academy. I think those also are good choices for children. But yeah, definitely Wayne Family Adventures. I have that on my list too, is, was the Webtoons Wayne Family Adventures, which we have plenty of reviews for on the site. You know, we've interviewed the creators for that and the Red Hood one. But that series, I feel like, is a good overall history and a very light, way and it also has the depth i feel like you want and need from like bat comics so i agree with that one as far as like actual like comic books that i could think of i had a hard time with this because part of me wants to just throw them in with something like denny o'neill neil adams related and just like you know because i feel like that's kind of how i got my you know intro to it was probably around that era you know, or like reprints of that, but, you know, nothing too intense. No Frank Miller, <laughs> no Alan Moore. Stay away from those. I read The Killing Joke way too young, but I don't know. I might do that stuff that inspired the animated series, I would say. Yeah, I think I think that's a good place to start. I think part of the problem too, or quote unquote problem is the character itself. Batman tends to be a more mature character, and I think it tends to work best in that format. That's not to say that there aren't formats that work for kids. I mean, my introduction to the character was the animated series. But I think as far as comics go, there tends to be a more, especially now, a uh, more mature slant to it, which I don't think is is a bad thing. But it just means that 
for kids that have to stick more maybe to, you know, the existing uh, cartoons or, as you said, comics that inspired those cartoons. Yeah, and no, and that's a good point, though, too, because I didn't think of anything current or modern other than like, you know, Webtoons. And you mentioned Little Gotham, like I didn't think of anything modern, you know, in the main two books that I really would introduce to a kid. I think it is a little too heavy. Anyways, we had a holiday break, so I figured it'd be a good time to check in and ask if you did anything fun. You know, if you read any new comics, watched any movies, played any games, etc. Or anything else, doesn't have to be anything related to that, Batman or not. Well, I feel like the holiday season for me was really busy. <laughs> so I actually just started, I took a, I took a break. So I, I did that whole 47 plus trade paperback binge in the months leading up to the holidays took a little break and i'm back now and i'm reading future state dark detective uh so that's the one i'm reading now but uh, as far as the holidays i mean i got a new job which i'm very thankful for uh some good things happening in my personal life too so uh yeah just (laughs) just been enjoying life so far how about you um well first actually out of that 47 you read which ones did you like the most did you have any like standout favorites oh i think i, I think we talked about this before on on, on the pod but oh, i've forgotten <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i think i think we, we did talk about this before but i think yeah the, the night the superman war worlds saga was great the De- mariko tamaki detective comics i also enjoyed the wonder woman run i think it was from becky thunan and william conrad that was also very enjoyable and then world's finest with Dan Mora doing the art, I read the first volume of that. I thought that was really, really good. So those are just some of my favorites, I would say. Okay, yeah, those are pretty solid. And now that you're mentioning, and I do remember, yeah, we did cover that. My end, I kind of, it was a really busy month. It's I work with a lot of business clients during the daytime. So it's holiday season for them. They're trying to sell stuff. So it gets a little busier, but I did managed to play through a game or two. I was pretty pleased with Resident Evil ones, so not really Batman related. But I started Gotham Knights uh, a couple nights ago. So I'm like way late to that train. I finally got on the bus playing as Nightwing. Um, It's too early to tell how I feel about it. I like the story. I think it's like it's got momentum. But I could see where people maybe were disheartened because whereas like Arkham games, there's a little more like sneaking around and, you know, there's a lot of action, obviously, in fighting, but there's you have that like Batman stealth aspect that's missing in Gotham Knights. Like there's stealth, but it doesn't really work. The game's set up more like a brawler where you're just entering a series of rooms with people to beat up. Yeah, I was going to ask you how you f- felt about it because I haven't started playing that. I will at some point. I like I, my my list of stuff to read, my list of stuff to watch, my list of games to play is never ending. Uh, and I've just resigned myself to the fact that I'm just going to keep adding to it, keep adding to it. So I just got to go one at a time for each of those things. But yeah, I, I have to get to that at some point. So far, I've just been, I think one that isn't going to be on there is the, the Suicide Squad game because I've just been seeing all the, the marketing and the the screenshots of the UI and all that stuff. And I'm just like, this is not something I'm interested in. So I think that's one I can take off the list. Yeah, I see I'm playing Gotham Knights because it's on Game Pass right now. And I've been a long time subscriber of that. Suicide Squad, I'm probably not going to play in day. Well, 
we should probably mention the news that came out kind of recently within the last week or two, but IGN came out with a, a pretty meh review or hot take or early look into Suicide Squad. You know, it's basically confirms everybody's fears and the stuff we've covered in previous episodes. It's kind of a reassurance of that. So there's nothing really exciting or deep to talk about. If people want to like look it up, you can find it. But May then, is uh, like the the uh, it was pretty pretty negative. Like I think I believe the headline was "We played it, we didn't like it." Here's why. <laughs> Which, yeah, actually, yeah, it was a it was you know like a, a charged headline, which is interesting because. IGN, I feel like I never really read the reviews anymore. I don't really, I just kind of expect them to be kind of give a lot of things a pass and I don't really care. Yeah, like, like any any big studio game, they give at least a six. <laughs> and so it was surprising to see them this early in the process be so negative. Yeah, and I feel like it was a couple days later, I want to say, where a lot of the beta players who have been playing Suicide Squad, you know, on the side or on their own, and they've had to sign NDAs where they can't really talk about the game. Rocksteady rolled that back. And so now they're allowed to say certain things about it. They can't reveal like the plot. They can't share any like visuals or screenshots or anything, but they can talk about their experiences. And so I've seen some comments trickling through of like enjoyment, basically like, Oh, I'm having fun with it. Nothing Really, that's like, oh, my God, this game is great and IGN is totally wrong. But along the lines of I'm having fun, it's fine, you know. Well, uh, I mean, I, I, sh- I did get Gotham Knights for free, I think, on uh, Epic Game Store and then again on Humble Bundle or something like that. So uh, if this game does come up for free at some point, then I will pick it up, obviously, and then play it sometime in 2032. <laughs> There you have it. Don't expect any coverage from us recently or in the near future for Suicide Squad because it's not going to happen. This is also a Batman podcast. I know we break that rule a lot where we extend outside of it, but I'm going to reinforce it for that game. Anyways, our main topic and the topic of this episode, pretty much the rest of this episode is Batman Mask of the Phantasm, the 30th anniversary. You know, that was what I was leading into. It's kind of for me, it's kind of surprising to think that it's that old. But just some quick notes on it before we get into discussion, you know, debate debuted on December 25th, 1993. You know, it was originally going to be direct to video, but switched to a theatrical run with a really tight schedule for production. So they kind of had to rush through things as fast as they could. And marketing efforts and things like that weren't as bolstered as they could have been. It failed at the box office, ran for about two weeks, earned $5.6 million of its $6 million production budget, which, you know, when you think about it, probably doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But usually studios want higher returns and probably for animated films. For kids, they probably want a much higher return because it was only $6 million budget. It did receive some critical praise, but it was ignored by a lot of big players famously roger ebert and gene siskel who were very popular at the time had a tv show you know were the big two dueling critics from chicago that kind of had the nation's attention because they sparred a lot you know and i'm from the chicagoland area so i'm very familiar with them but they didn't watch this film when it came out in theaters they went back and revisited it once it got a video release like a year later almost and when that came out, they praised the film. They 
kind of admonish themselves for ignoring it. And I can't remember which one said it. I did actually write it down for notes for an interview we had with Alan Burnett not too long ago. But one of them mentioned that, you know, the amount of story this movie had in under 80 minutes was kind of phenomenal. It was phenomenal, not something, you know, you see very often. You know, and then because of the box office performance and how it fared, you know, we wouldn't see another animated Batman theatrical release until The Killing Joke in 2016, which a lot of people discount because it was a limited theatrical run, as opposed to Lego Batman the year after, which had the full theatrical run. So that was a mouthful from me. I'm going to step back and let Al talk, but... What are your overall thoughts and impressions of Mask of the Phantasm? Well, first of all, I'm glad that Lego Batman was a theatrical release because I would feel so bad if Killing Joke was the only other one because that that was just not uh, not one I want to to think about too much. But Mask of the Phantasm, I actually I actually watched it again just today, just before we started recording, and I think this is the first time I've watched it since I was a kid. Like from beginning to end, I've seen like I've watched clips of it, like or like just, you know, parts of it on YouTube and stuff like that over the years. But this is the first time I think I've seen it from beginning to end since I was a kid. And so the first time I watched it, I think probably in the mid 90s sometime when it released, I was about a year old. So that's definitely way too young to to see it and remember any of it. But mid mid to late 90s was the first time that I saw it. And I thought it was excellent. In fact, the, the tone, the tone and the art style was so dramatic that I actually was kind of scared. So I was, I was a little kid at the time, but yeah, uh, looking at like I mean, watching it now as as an adult, you know, just from the beginning, the opening credits are like majestic. There is no other word for it. You see that like it just goes through the the Art Deco style of the Gotham skyline, and there's these like this opera <laughs> choir kind of singing and there's this like orchestra playing music and it's very gives you this very dramatic mature feeling right 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 to start with and i am also aware of its role in terms of pushing the genre in a more serious direction which i really appreciate it for that being said watching it now in 2024 it has aged a bit I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say it's just as good as it as it was, but in general I still think it is a a good film. Yeah, that's that's fair. Do you mind if I ask why you think it's aged a bit? Well, the, so if, the pacing is the first thing that really stands out to me. The pacing so the the animated the animated film genre, for lack of a better term, because that that's so that's so broad. There's so many different kinds of animated films, but uh, at serious animated films now, I feel have they've really embraced the fact that they can have like a, a more adult tone, and so there is a, a more mature pacing to the to those films as well. And so there's just little things that kind of take me out. So like when when the police were chasing Batman, there's a scene where like he uses grapple gun on the hel- on the helicopter which has a light shining on him but then it's revealed that it's just his cape going and there's no way he could have possibly done that maneuver it's just but it's just done like that to kind of move the plot forward and there's also like little things like 
there was this one woman at the party at the beginning and she's drawn very oddly. I don't know what that was about, but I think that might have been something that has aged poorly over the years. But I like and I think like my biggest problem with this film honestly is the ending. And and even despite that I would still say it's a good film. I think that's fair. Like I did watch this two nights ago again just to kind of get it fresh in my mind. And I remember so I first saw this when I was like Pre-teen, early teenager. I didn't see it when it came. I really wanted to. I was like, let me think, 93. I was like five or six. So when this came out, so I was like, I want to go, I want to go, I want to go. But it was like the holidays and parents are busy. Didn't get to see it. Forgot about it. Caught it on like a DVD release like years later. And that's when I fell in love with it. But watching it again, I still think it's fantastic. And it's definitely probably my upper tier of Batman films. But I agree with you in that, you know, movie making and like the way we look at movies has changed since 93. And so in 93, this feels like it was a groundbreaking animated film. It has a lot of adult themes and ideas and things that the creative team trusted children with to understand and follow through, you know, and that's really cool. And I appreciate that. But I can't help but look at this movie and be like, well, it's pretty I want to say the word simple, but I feel like that's not the operative word here. It's just, it feels like it's very much a point A to point B to point C film, you know, more or less an extended version of the animated series episode plots, you know, just tripling the normal length. And and that's, you know, it's great for what it does and it reinterprets things for children in a way they can understand and kind of waters down some key things from Batman's lore, like the whole idea of the Reaper character transformed into the phantasm. Like that's cool. So I like it and I love it and I think it's important, but maybe not my number one (laughs) pick. No, I mean, yeah, I I wouldn't put it at number one at this point, but I, I, what I will point out, and I think this is the movie's greatest strength is its mood and its art style. I think that to this day, I think that has, there's so many shots that have, that would be perfect today. Like if you could just replicate the the way that that was done, you know, an animated feature today, I think that would be perfect, especially, and it especially stands out because so many of the modern DC animated films have a very like bland art style. And this, the 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 character and distinctiveness of, of the art style and the mood and the use of shadow and light, it's it's just so perfect in, in in this one. No, and you're right. And actually, I have the subheader for my next section of like notes on this was timeless quality yet rooted in its era. And I think really that timeless quality is what you're talking about, like the the art. You know, it is it's distinctive, and it's you know we haven't seen it in other batman things no people kind of tend to avoid it interpretations because it's very much its own thing and it's just frankly really cool so you know as a spectacle of just like animation like it is probably one of the more unique animated films batman or not you could watch so we've talked about the art you know we've touched on that and we'll probably end up circling back just naturally in the conversation but I wanted to touch on the story and the characters for a moment. 
and ask, you know, what are some of the themes of the film that stick with you? Or, or if there's not, you can totally answer that way too. I think one thing that this film, and this, there's many films that have sort of really solidified this opinion for me, is that Batman works well when he's in a grounded setting and preferably like there's some storyline involving organized crime. There's some personal link to it as well. You know, the dark Knight did this too. Right. And some people have called it basically the Godfather with Batman in it. And I think <clears throat> this follows a similar type of similar type of tone or, or theme rather similar type of theme where it has an organized mob story. There's corrupt politicians. And the one criticism I, I would have is that, and this is perhaps something that they didn't do because of the time that they made this in. And I think if they'd made it now, they probably would have done it this way. They didn't push that far enough in the story. The story becomes like Joker en enters the story and it becomes, the ending becomes a very typical beat em up style conclusion and the councilman reeves storyline the police being the enemies of batman storyline those are not really resolved at all <laughs> it just shows batman going back to to work in the city so that would be i think one of the main themes for me yeah it's funny because my wife watched it with me and that was like the first thing she said when, she, when the movie ended was she goes what happened with the police so <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know. I just assumed that once the phantasm was found out, that information is relayed somehow and, you know, taken but care of. But that's the thing. But that's the thing. The phantasm <laughs> isn't found. So, so, like, how do they resolve that? I don't know. I mean, Jim Gordon was never for it. So, who knows? Maybe he got bullet corralled. And, like, I think the hard thing, too, is it's disconnected from the animated series. Like, you can watch it or not watch it. It really makes no difference when you're doing your animated series watch-throughs, and they don't circle back in the series at any point. So it's like, if you're doing some animated universe run-through where you slot this movie, it's probably in between seasons one and two or two and three, kind of up to your discretion. Or if you want to shove it after three, you probably could too. Somewhere before season four when the animation changes. But... <laughs> but you know, it's just kind of like a, a drift in its own little thing there. But I guess when it comes to themes, the one thing I do really love about it, just like from the story and the, you know, characterization of Batman is that a lot of his motivation isn't necessarily, isn't so rooted in like, oh, I got to avenge my parents or I made a vow to my parents. That's in there, but it seems like they shifted it just a little bit to... I've met this woman, we're in love. I have a choice to be happy, but I also made this vow. And there's like this push-pull, and obviously the events of the film kind of push it in one direction. But I like that, you know, we can still have, it feels like we can have our cake and eat it too with the whole dead parents thing. And and I think that is a very critical point, and I'm glad you brought it up. Because in the comic side of things, there is this, there is this feeling at least fans feel this way about editorial is that editorial thinks that Batman cannot have a significant other and still be Batman. And in this film, there is a brief moment in time. It's a very short film. So obviously this moment in time is going to be brief, but when Andrea comes back and she knows he's Batman and he's still trying to make it work and still be Batman. And so it is possible. And I think that is something that is a very key point. Oh yeah, totally. Like if she wasn't, going around killing a bunch of monsters it probably would have been you know fine but 
you know, is an interesting thing. And it's, it's very thoughtful, you know, the way they put that together. Other notes I had on this that I wanted to touch on, you know, going back to the art, I love, I love that style, like the whole, the flashbacks and some of the musical transitions really lean into this idea of this film being a 40s era thriller in disguise. And that includes obviously the mob, which, you know, was in a lot of movies when Batman was created, it was kind of a popular, you know, film genre of its day. And Andrea Beaumont, to me, reminds me a lot of like a Catherine Hepburn, Lauren Bacall type. And that was something that really drew me in. I love that aesthetic and that feel. And then the two other notes I have that really stood out to me. This one's a very 90s thing that you never see anymore. But the bad guys smoke. Joker, before he turns, well, when he's Jack Napier, which is a reference to Batman 89, he smokes cigarettes. Silvestri, the old Bob boss, when he's younger, he's smoking cigarettes. But when he's an old man, he's got this giant cigar. So I thought that was funny. Just like it was still the era where kids film bad guys can still smoke. Just don't show the heroes do it. Yeah, I think now they'd have them vaping or something. (laughs) And then the last thing I thought was really cool was Stacey Keach voices both Carl Beaumont, Andrea's dad, and the in-suit voice of the Phantasm. So whenever Andrea's running around like threatening mobsters, it's Stacey Keach. And I thought that was kind of a cool motif to have the same actor, you know, kind of come back as sort of the spectral voice of, you know, Andrea's deceased father, you know, through the suit. So it adds an extra layer of like why she's doing this. There, so there's a another thing. So you mentioned the Jack Napier. Is he actually referred to that in the movie? Because I can't remember him being referred to as Jack Napier in the film. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I think if there's like a note on a piece of paper or something, it's like super quick, which makes sense because my understanding is Bruce Tim was a really big fan of the Tim Burton Bat films. Obviously, the Penguin design, the animated series is the first three seasons is a testament to that. So he liked what they were doing. And so I think... You know, that was just a little reference. So actually, there's another podcast, too, called Superhero Stuff You Should Know. And they recently released a video talking about deleted scenes from this movie. And there was one that was going to go a little more back into the origin of the Joker and the whole Jack Napier persona. And it was also going to briefly feature Harley Quinn at one point with some kind of clip montage, which makes sense, too, because Paul Dini helped write this and he created her. Yeah, I, I I just assumed it was uh, a reference to the Red Hood uh, origin story in the Killing Joke. Uh, you know, the, where he was a uh, like he was part of the mob before turning into to Joker. Yeah, yeah, but that's I mean that that's a film reference. But I think that name actually, if I remember right, the reason why they even used the Jack Napier name was like that was their way of getting the word Jackanape in there in his name, which. It's like an old timey word for like a prankster or something. Oh, uh, okay. But so. you know, the, there are other things too that I, I kind of noticed where I feel like there are people who have worked on other other Batman stories or other Batman media that have seen this, and there are certain things that have kind of stuck in their mind at least, or have directly influenced their project. So, just for example, that brief interaction Bruce has with the councilman at the party, it kind of just 
reminded me of the beginning of the Telltale game series where Bruce and Harvey are in the mansion and they're talking at that party. There, there's the other thing. The other thing that I noticed was a tie to Batman Begins, where remember in Batman Begins when Bruce first comes back to Gotham and he's kind of at a distance spying on Rachel Dawes, who's kind of who was dating the DA, I believe, at the time. Oh yeah, yeah, and yeah. And it's the exact same scene. As in this with Andrea and Reeves, right? Where he's kind of on yeah. the thing and he has the binoculars and he's he's listening in. So I guess the, there are these things that have kind of happened in this film that have influenced people in, in telling other Batman stories. Definitely. I mean, it's one of those films that I think, you know, we've been speaking to it a lot is that it echoes. Or I guess if I'm going to lean into it, I love making this reference, the George Lucas reference. It's like poetry. It rhymes. <laughs> but... The other, the other thing, the other thing, quickly that I just I wanted to mention, I have in, I have in my notes, and it's kind of it's a little unrelated, but I have to I have to mention this with the movie. Was that the worst proposal of all time? <laughs> yeah, it was great. It was so bad. That was the worst <laughs> proposal I've ever seen. He basically <laughs> takes out the ring, says, "You'll get the idea." What do you say? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I kind of wonder why they did it that way. Were they like? I don't know, worried that like six-year-old boys in the audience would be turned off or something. I don't know. <laughs> Cause this movie does like beat for beat. Like once you get those little like romantic flashbacks, and everything, it just moves, you know, like, all right, we got that scene. Let's jump on. And that's kind of where, when I said earlier, I see it as a product of his day. I kind of think about those things where it's just, sometimes it leaps. You don't get to like, I feel like now we're very enmeshed in like meditating on moments. Yeah, which isn't a bad thing, honestly. I, I mean, I, but I just take it as like there, there are certain movies like, you know, you mentioned George Lucas, the original Star Wars films. If you made it the same, the same original Star Wars films today, even if you fix up all the VFX to make it modern, the same dialogue, the same story, people would be like, what is this? Right. If they'd never seen anything before. But we kind of accept it because, you know, they're originals and we we respect them for pushing the story or pushing the genre in that direction. And I think this is the same thing with this thing, with this film. No, and you're right. You're you're definitely right. Because as I said that, I started thinking about, like, I mentioned the 40s connection. And I started thinking about the original Scarface, which came out in the 30s, actually. But it's an hour and a half, barely. And it just flies right through. And then they later remade it in the 80s and they extended it. They doubled the length of the film, changed the setting from New York to Florida. But, you know... Same plot, same story, just really stretch that out. So, you know, just different eras, different styles. And maybe that was part of it, too, is just these are the films that inspired us. We really want to make something that's close to this. So here we go. Hey, you got a second? The Batman universe is looking for Batman fans with something to say. If you're interested in writing reviews of your favorite Batman books, or you want to contribute original content with articles like the top 10 forgotten Batman villains, or why dead Didio's exit from DC was the worst thing to ever happen, then we want to invite you to join our TBU staff family as a writer. Just reach out to our email, tbu at thebatmanuniverse.net, and let us know that you want to become one of our writers. It's that easy. And honestly, there's no reason not to. You get exclusive access to our TBU staff Discord server, you get early access to comics, and you meet a lot of cool people. What are you waiting for? 
Email us at tbu at thebatmanuniverse.net and let us know that you want to become one of our writers. Okay, so our second, you know, half of this topic, we kind of broke down and talked about the film, but, you know, things that I wanted to point out and mention is as popular and beloved as this film became, you know, because of its box office performance or how people viewed it at the time, we never got a direct sequel. You know, we mentioned earlier that there wasn't really a reference in Batman, the animated series that you can find. It's just kind of, it's while it has the same, you know, cast and style and manner of storytelling and art, it's, it's, it can be viewed as its own thing. You know, the next film we got, was still part of the animated series universe. It was direct to video. It came out in March or came out on March 17th, 1998. It was Batman Sub Zero, which was a Mr. Freeze film. And based on what was going on at the time, you could probably make the assumption that it was connected to what Warner Brothers was doing with their live action films. You know, that said though, Batman Sub Zero was delayed a whole year from its original release date due to the very poor reception of Batman and Robin in 1997, which if you need the mental nudge of what that was, that was the Arnold Schwarzenegger Mr. Freeze vehicle. Some might even say the icy reception of Batman and Robin. There you go. Um, And then as far as other animated films connected to this universe, there was, the Batman Beyond Return of the Joker film in 2000, which I consider connected because Batman Beyond feeds off of the animated series. It's all part of the whole shared universe between this Superman and Justice League. You know, and then there was Batman Mystery of the Batwoman, another direct-to-video release in 2003, which I view as the swan song to the DC animated universe, but it's probably the film that anybody curious to, like, 100% complete this universe and all their watch throughs that you need to watch. It's the least interesting of them, in my opinion. It's not terrible. It's fine. But I don't know if you've seen it, Otto. I have a long time ago. Should I give a a spoiler or no? Yeah, go for it. I mean, it's been out since... It's, it's been out for almost uh, like yeah. So it's been out for twenty years now. So <laughs> there, there's three three bat women at the end. I mean, I think it's the one that's probably off the list. There, the one people care about the least. Uh, one more I'll add though, and it's not technically part of the Batman animated series, but it is connected because it was part of the Superman animated series. I think which was Batman Superman World's Finest, which was a great VHS film. I love actually that was the first three episodes of the Batman. So I thought about it. I just didn't add it in there just because on my Blu-ray set for Superman, it's you know it's segmented by episodes. But yeah, no, you're totally right because that's how I watched that first was as the when they recut it as a movie on DVD and it's yeah. like an introduction to that. And that's a great film. It's it's so good. It's a better it's a better Batman Superman li- movie than any live action attempt at doing the same thing. And no, I'm I'm 100 percent serious. I know you're too. serious and you're right. It's just I feel like there's a he who should not be named there when you say that. There absolutely is. There absolutely is. But I don't want, I don't want to name that person. Yeah. But the Joker in that film is also incredibly hilarious. 
the scene with Lex in in the in the limousine. I mean, I still get, I still chuckle when I when I see that scene to this day. I mean, it's great. And then Batman Beyond, I think Return of the Joker. There might be some controversy with the, you know, how that was resolved with Tim Drake. I can see if you're a fan of Tim Drake hating that, but I do think the movie's really good. It is. Have you seen the uncut version? No, there's I'm like not. a we'll have- there's like a more adult cut version. Oh no, what happens seen- to the more adult one? <laughs> so you know how like the Joker like. Okay, so again, spoilers, I guess, if you haven't watched the Return of the Joker movie, but in the version, the like, you can't call it theatrical version, but like the main version of Return of the Joker, Joker like accidentally kills himself in the past. And they do like a flashback of like everything that happened before, you know, he returns in Batman Beyond. And he like, I think he's like stepping on water and he pulls a lever and electrocutes himself. And that's how he dies. And in the uncut adult version or whatever, or the more adult version was Tim Drake, which some context, the whole reason they're doing this is Joker abducts Tim Drake and like holds him hostage for weeks and Jokerifies him basically like brainwashes and turns him into a mini Joker, but he's going through some like mental issues when the Bat family shows up and it's like a very emotional kind of a heart wrenching scene. Really good. But Tim Drake ends up shooting the Joker in that version so you know what's interesting the more adult version that you just mentioned i thought that was the only version that's the only version i've seen i have not seen the other one where, where joker steps on a lever or something i have not seen that one. Oh, really huh. okay then you... i've only seen the version where, where tim shoots the joker i think there might like that's the main difference there might be like one or two other little differences here but otherwise essentially the film is the same it's just I think they thought that that was a little too dark for kids. So they switched it to the, you know, pulling the lever and, you know, instead of having Tim directly kill the Joker. So, but either way, both versions are great. You know, I, I tend to prefer the, I can't, I don't want to call it kid friendly, but the kid friendly version. I, I like the way it's done because it's almost off panel. Like you don't like see his whole body. You just see like an arm lever and then electricity, if I'm remembering it right. But either way, I remember liking the 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 one where he shoots him because I thought it it kind of fit for how dark that story was going, and also when I I remember the first time I saw that I was watching it I was like they're not going to actually do this, and then they actually did and I was like wow that's that's a that's a big thing that they just did and it felt like it had like real stakes to it so I, I kind of enjoyed it from that I mean, perspective. I mean it was intense because you know like he's holding the gun and he's like crying like tears and it's like shaking yeah but he's got that joker smile like it's (laughs) which yeah i we should do and well that was 2000 so i guess we're we'll have to wait next year to do a 25 year anniversary of a truly joker or we'll just fit it in somewhere else because i could i could i'm good i'm good for a rewatch i think we could talk about that one for a while and i want to circle back to mystery of the batwoman there's one thing i like about that movie and it's I'm a big fan of the Bane design in season four where they gave him the weird choker necklace and like the red eyes with like the, you know, the real tight like gimp mask thing going on. And I thought that was really cool. And he only appears once with that design and it's in like a really good episode where Batgirl has basically a nightmare induced by fear toxin. But in Mystery of the Batwoman, you actually get to hear see more of that Bane and he actually talks as opposed to, you know, the very brief one or two lines he has in the Batgirl episode. Was that the, was that the last good 
animated Bane design because the the 2004 Batman show, I believe, didn't have. Was it 2004 that that show came out? I think so. Or was it later? Yeah. Oh okay. wait, maybe it was 2000. Well, no, because it came out right around the time it begins, right? Okay, so maybe 2006 or 2008, something like that. You know which one I'm talking about. The one yeah. that's, I think, Reno Romano voicing Batman. Yeah. That one, the Bane design there was, I just didn't like it. it was like, his skin was like plasma all the yeah. time. So I wasn't a fan of that. And then the Young Justice one just kind of looks very plain. It's just like a guy in a in a mask, in a, like, you know, black tank top and a mask. And I was like, okay, this is, this is, a, this is all right. So was that, was that the last, like, really good Bane animated design? I, I would, I, I guess so. I can't think of any others that I've really liked i feel like everyone tries to put their own spin on thing i guess the harley quinn design is fine like i like it it's like an amalgamation of different things you know okay but but yeah that that the batman cartoon yeah i i remember when that episode debuted it was part of my original distaste for that cartoon because i hated like there was different things that like stood out to me that i really hated that bane design i don't remember him turning into like basically like a hulk and that really put me off (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> irrationally so i'm i'm fine with it now i watched like the whole series and i think it's pretty good but not that design yeah i mean and and just to to circle back to you know mask of the phantasm and its potential sequels i do think it's weird that it didn't get a potential sequel but that might also be like we're in a world now where everything gets a sequel like if you're even moderately successful there's a sequel that's greenlit and coming out, but I will say the there's a that the Amazon is it still on Amazon or is it on Max? I don't know the Batman Cape Crusader uh, animated series. That's I think it's still going to be at Prime or yeah, Amazon on Amazon, right? That might be like a spiritual successor to what this film did, and to the animated series, obviously. I hope so. The only thing I worry about is the only things I've seen about it are, you know, and it hasn't really been worth covering here too much because it's the same thing is that it's going to be more violent and like darker and edgier. Like that scares me a little bit because, you know, I don't feel I don't I guess I don't want to see the Batman, the animated series show redone with like a lot more blood or something, you know, because it's not going to do anything for me necessarily. Yeah, I'm, what I'm expecting is kind of like the modern animated adaptation of The Long Halloween, which I really, really enjoyed, done with like an art style similar to the animated series. So that kind of tone and theme and that kind of visual art style, I think, would be a really cool match. Yeah. Well, I guess we will see what happens. I also just realized that I left out a film on my list of things tethered to this universe. And it was one I didn't like, but Batman and Harley Quinn, which came out in 2017, it was the re-embracing that Bruce Timm style. Little, yes. A lot of references to the animated series. I really liked the bar where all the henchmen hung out because it was like a who's who in the background. Very qu- the very of. questionable Nightwing scene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's probably why. I probably just like completely forgot about it. I've locked it from memory. But there's that. And you know, I guess I should mention it. I reviewed all these issues for the site. I'm not going to go too in-depth for it, but recently we got a Batman Catwoman comic series from writer Tom King and artist Clay Mann and Liam Sharp. Great art. It was a black label book, so more adult-oriented. A lot of swearing, a little bloodier sequences. 
it was simultaneously a sequel to Tom King's Batman run, you know, trying to finish up what he started because, you know, the short version for people who aren't familiar is his run was apparently truncated, you know, at, at city of Bane. So he had to kind of rush through and polish and finish, I guess polish isn't the operative word, but finish his run plenty of issues earlier. And so the leftovers were kind of hanging the balance. They eventually made this Batman Catwoman series and it features the phantasm. She's coming back to avenge her son who was murdered by the Joker. And there's a lot of, I don't want to spoil the plot. I won't say too much about it because there's a lot of twists and turns. It's the very loose definition of what's going on, but it exists. You can read our reviews. You can find it, track it down for yourself. And there are little references to the animated series throughout. Like I always forget his name, but there's that villain who in the sewers who had the, it's just like the, it wasn't the, I can't remember his name. But he was just a sewer king. But he was had a bunch of kids that he was like teaching to steal. It was like some Oliver Twist thing going on there in the sewers. But like he's a character that pops up for a hot second. So if you know your animated series, you know, there's that. But it kind of does that fine line of connecting to this movie and playing with the Phantasm and Andrea Beaumont as characters that exist in, you know, Batman's world. And playing off of like the events of the movie, sort of. They don't really directly reference anything, but it seems like there's some implications. And then also everything Tom King did with his Batman run with Catwoman. Because she's in the title and she's heavily featured. But should mention it, you know, not necessarily the most closely tied to these movies. No, but I think it, it is. it does say something, though, that the character is being featured in a major comic series almost 30 years later. Yeah. So I think that that does say something about the influential nature of the film itself. Yeah, totally. It's just interesting too, because, you know, again, like the phantasm is inspired from the Reaper character. They just kind of toned it down and Reaper appeared, I think in like an issue or two of detective comics when Tamazi was back on it most recently. And that was it. You don't really see that character much, but Phantasm, you know, was was prominent in the 12 issue series for Batman Catwoman. So front and center. And if you like your Clay Man and Liam Sharp art, some really cool uh, panels and spreads in there. Do you have anything else you wanted to say about Mask of the Phantasm before we roll on out of here? No, uh, I think we covered all of it. Um, I, again, just my one issue was the ending. I really think they kind of lost the, the focus, the kind of the the stuff that it had going for for the movie throughout the film. I think they kind of moved away from that. And like, you know, there's the, the stuff that we've already talked about. But then another thing that I have in my notes is why does Joker announce his plan? Like he, he says he doesn't want to kill Batman, but then he's in the, so then he, why does he have the explosives? And then why does he tell Batman about the explosives? I just don't, I didn't, I didn't get that part, but yeah, I mean, ending aside, I think, I still think it's a, I, if I had to rate it and I hate rating things, but 7.58 out of 10 today, I mean, and that's even comparing to the the DC animated films that we've seen recently, many of which, as I said, very bland art style and mediocre adaptations or mediocre storylines. So, I will also rate it. 
I think I'm still going to give it like a nine out of 10. It's up there for me. You know, my gripes, it sounded like a lot earlier, but it's, you know, it's still a great film. And I always remind myself the context of A, when it's from, and B, who the main audience was for, you know, kids with their families. So I will link to the episode where we, where we interviewed Alan Burnett below. So you can, it's a short conversation. We didn't have a lot of time, but, you know, we did touch on that and the animated series a little bit. And it's nice to hear him talk about it and his feelings about it, because I do ask him about the reception at the time, you know, and the reception later how he felt about that. So, you know, it was a good response. But before we close up here, I would like to thank our patrons and read those who have contributed to the site. If you want your name featured in our episodes on here or the comic podcast, there's a link, a link below where you can join. You get first access to unedited versions of these podcasts you know, as well as, you know, you're contributing to the site and helping us stay ad-free. You know, there's other little perks along the way. But I would like to thank Lisa Slack, Ian Miller, Joshua Lapin-Bertoni, Rob O, Stephanie Muntz, Stanton's Grave, Ed Grouse, Captain America, Caspian73, Johnny McCloskey, David Richards, Donald Townsend, Brendan Roberts. Thank you all. Um, you can visit us at thebatmanuniverse.net for comic reviews, movie news, and more. Want to chat with us? Hop on our Discord. There's a link below. You can also write to us at tvu at thebatmanuniverse.net and we'll respond to your comments on air. As always, if you like these episodes, please subscribe, rate, and share. For Adel and myself, thanks for listening.